You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where it's gorgeous weather, but it's typical springtime in Oregon. You know, it's schizophrenic. We're supposed to have, you know, this afternoon and tomorrow is supposed to be gorgeous, and it's supposed to be close to 80 tomorrow, and then Friday it's supposed to be a high of 50. So this time of year, you get weather whiplash all the time. And in fact, the weather uh, even impacted my house here on Monday. We were having some terrific wind gusts and it actually blew the the top third out of a very tall ponderosa pine uh, that's on my property into the um, lane that runs back to some other properties called Bridgeway uh, Lane and uh Broke my neighbor's fence and you know had was blocking the lane there for a while till we got it cut up and and managed to haul it out of the the roadway. But you know doing a little uh, you know storm cleanup work there you know on the county's behalf. <laughs> Although these are privately maintained public streets back here, known as local access roads, so I you know would have ended up cleaning it up anyway, but. Uh, just got it out of the way so all my neighbors could get to and from their house. Um, and and also, uh, my wife's business is back on that side of where the Ponderosa was, so our employee was also trapped. <laughs> Her employee, I should say. But we've got so much to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show because, you know, we, we decided to, you know, skedaddle during spring break. We had a guest coming out of spring break last week. Uh, with Victoria Doyle, and thank you, Victoria, for coming on and talking about Springfield and spring, some spring, Springfield issues that translate sort of countywide because this whole kind of desire to change roads to to something that won't let traffic move fast is all part of a wider agenda that's kind of anti-private vehicles. They really, you know, there is a segment of people that want to push you out of your privately owned car and make you dependent on mass transit because they have more control over you that way. It's been shown that, you know, one of the best ways you can help somebody out of poverty is to give them a running vehicle. (laughs) They've done study work with that. The ability to get to and from a job reliably is a huge issue without being dependent on public transit. But I digress. So much to talk about, but I always want to remind folks we are a call-in show. 
and I come on every week at four o'clock, except for occasionally things like spring break when we decide to blow out of here. Um, and I come on because I want people to be able to, to talk to a local elected official. And, and you can call me about things that aren't Lane County because I might be able to, you know, I know enough about city government and state government and even the federal government sometimes to, to figure out who you should talk to to solve a problem or, you know, just want to talk about that issue. We can talk about that issue. 646-721-9887. And just press one. And that let, you know, that raises your little hand, virtual hand on our board. So we know you want to talk because we get people that call in that just want to listen. Again, 646-721-9887. And press one if you want to talk on the show. Um, and we'll get you on and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. So we've got some interesting stuff to talk about, but I have to go back to this whole issue of voting for your own pay raise because there's been some back and forth where, you know, Don Leslie told somebody that it never even came up in the budget committee, raising the commissioner's salaries. She didn't qualify her statement. But now she's saying, oh, I was talking about following the, the, the recommendation for that 27% increase. You know, that didn't, you know, no one, no one made a motion about that. But we did vote for a pay increase, you know, have a pay increase vote, which she did vote yes. I voted no. <laughs> so did Commissioner Pat Farr. But Don Leslie, Joe Bernie, and Heather Buck all voted yes to give the commissioners a 2% pay increase. Fortunately, it failed. The motion failed, but they voted on the yes side. And, you know, I've always felt that elected local government folks, you're doing public service. You're not supposed to get rich as an elected official. It's not supposed to be a career. And I think Lane County commissioners are well compensated. So I have always voted no on every pay increase. And the one time I was outvoted and we got a 2% COLA, I've contributed the amount of that COLA to the United Way. Because, so I didn't, you know, it's in my paycheck, but I, you know, it comes out pre-taxes and goes straight to the United Way by a payroll tax deduction. And I've been doing that for years um, because I have this belief in, in public service. I took a 25% pay cut from what I earned as an engineer the day I was sworn in as a county commissioner. Now, county commissioners do put in a lot more time and hours. It is a full-time job. It's not the same as either a state legislator or a, a city councilor. So yes, we are compensated for a full-time position, but we're pretty well compensated. Our current base salary is $87,869 a year. But when you add in all of the benefits and stipends and PERS and health insurance and, and everything else and FICA that the employer pays, 
it's costing the taxpayers for our full package of pay and benefits $148,725 a year. That is if you're talking about a commissioner that is an OPSERP, quote, tier three PERS employee, and a commissioner that is on the high deductible health plan. It's more if they're a tier one or tier two PERS employee, or if they take our copay plan, one of our copay plans. So the, the least amount the Lane County Commissioner is costing the taxpayer right now is $148,000, $725 a year. $148,725. Do they really need a raise? And do we really even care what Lane, what Washington County and Multnomah County and Jackson County pay their commissioners? Because that's, you know, that this, this pay study they did, they looked at other commissioners. You can't apply for a job in another county for, as a commissioner if you're a commissioner in another county. It's not transferable. It's not like being a tax assessor or a sheriff or DA, where that skill as an, you know, as a law enforcement, certified law enforcement officer with the management experience is transferable to other jobs like being the chief of a police of a large city or going to another county and getting appointed as chief deputy and then ultimately being able to run for sheriff there or as a tax assessor, being able to work for the state department of revenue or other counties. You know, that's a skill set. There's even private sector applications of that skill set. The DA is a, the managing partner of a law firm, basically, with a degree in law. You think maybe that has some some comparable competitive things that they can immediately jump to? I can't go and get a job as a commissioner anywhere else other than being elected by the people of Lane County. It's not a position we should be comparing with others. What we should be doing is comparing it with what do our citizens make? How many citizens make $87,000 a year? Now, let me just tell you how we get up to that $148,000 a little bit. We also get an $840 a year stipend to pay for our cell phones, you know, iPads, or whatever technology we have to pay for the carrier cost or whatever of having those devices that we use as being a commissioner. My cell phone's mine, I own it, I paid for it. You know, my iPad is mine, uh, I paid for it, but I get this $840 a year stipend to help pay for my Verizon service. I get, also get a $6,720 a year stipend to reimburse me for the use of my personal vehicle in my duties as a commissioner, which is probably not, you know, for me in particular, it's probably about a balance because I've figured out in my first uh, 10 years or so as a commissioner, I checked mileage on my vehicles and I was driving about 1,400 miles a month 
as a commissioner. So <laughs> the county was probably getting a pretty good deal. Now, COVID came along and changed that quite a bit. I'm not driving quite as many miles, but I still go to Florence, go to Junction City, Triangle Lake, Lorraine. Um, I get around Salem. Well, technically, I can ask for mileage after I cross the county line. I haven't, but in rare occasions where I've gone a longer distance, maybe for um, a more uh, a conference or something like that, that I, I had to attend on the county's behalf. But um, for the most part, I've just accepted the vehicle stipend as a balance. But if you, know, you add those things up, you're at $95,429. That's what goes into box one on my W-2. Except for it doesn't actually all go in there because I have enough charitable contributions that it, it drops down to about 90 on mine. But that's, that's the taxable income. It's considered taxable income by the IRS. So, you know, they might say we make 87,000. Well, our taxable income is 95. And then you start counting things like the county's share of FICA, you know, that's your Social Security and, and Medicare, Medicaid um, payment, which is 7.65 of your pay. And then you start adding in, you know, unemployment insurance, which is 2.4% of the pay. You add in 18,000. 797 is our cheapest health insurance plan. And you add in the 28.56 of that base salary, 28.56% of that 87,869, which is the PERS eligible salary. 28.56% of that is the county's rate in the PERS to pay for the future retirement of commissioners. It's, it's, it's basically, you know, if an employer was, was paying into a simple IRA plan on behalf of an employee, this is that contribution, basically, the county has 28.56%. That's $25,000 a year going into PERS on behalf of each commissioner. You add all that stuff up, $148,725. And Don Leslie, who was running for commissioner at the time this vote was taken, had been announced for months and has had the full intent to become a commissioner. Joe Bernie, who is currently a commissioner running for re-election. Heather Buck, who is currently a commissioner also running for re-election, all voted to recommend a 2% increase to our pay. Kind of self-serving there, isn't it? For people that are already making over $140,000 a year in pay and benefits. Kind of sort of, you know, smacks of almost being a little on the, you know, being able to vote for your own raise. That's not yeah, it's sort of kind of kind of makes you cringe a little. Sort of like, you know, having your paid political consultant drafting maps for redistricting. The person that 
Joe Bernie and Heather Buck paid over $100,000 to when they ran for election the last cycle, being on the redistricting committee. Or maybe it might be like using a closed door executive sessions to make decisions about vaccine mandates for county employees. Starting to see sort of a pattern here. And then Don Leslie, who basically, you know, bald place lied to a potential voter at one of her campaign events when she was asked whether she voted to increase commissioner salaries, that it never even came up. She's trying to obfuscate about that now, saying, oh, I wasn't talking about any raise at all. I was talking about this one particular proposal. The question wasn't about that one particular proposal. It was about voting to increase commissioner's pay. Is that what you want in a Lane County Board of Commissioners in the future? May is coming up fast. The elections are coming up fast. Anyone that drives around Lane County is starting to see the signs. We need a change. We need transparency. We need people that aren't going to vote for their own pay increases. I have to calm down a little bit now. Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it just I I bring this up because I just think it is such an important issue for people to understand that commissioners are compensated so far above the median family income, not just the individual, the median family income of Lane County. And these three people thought we needed a raise or thought they needed a raise. Let's put it, let's put this in the correct perspective. They thought they needed a raise. They needed more money because commissioners in other counties make more money than the ones do here. I don't give a flying about the other commissioners. Like I said, there's no comparables. I can't apply for a job as a Washington County commissioner. So just, you know, with all the other things, going on, you know, the finagling of the redistricting that went on, the closed-door meetings to talk about vaccine mandates. We need a transparent government. Speaking of that, I'm going to jump to a couple other subjects about transparency a little bit here because that's kind of my little theme today. Uh, I just want to remind folks, again, we are calling show 646 721-9887. Don't forget to press one if you want to talk on the show. But I I want to talk a little bit about something that, you know, the last couple board meetings, it actually came up two board meetings ago and actually died because of a tie vote, got brought up under a motion to reconsider yesterday and passed, which is to make the Homes for Good board a majority appointed board. Right now, Homes for Good is the HUD housing authority in Lane County. And it is basically sponsored by Lane County government. The way the HUD rules work is there has to be 
a governmental body that basically the sponsor and overseer of the housing authority locally. Um, and Lane County has acted as that body um, since the inception of what used to be, um, you know, uh, Lane, um, I forgot the, the initials it was, but it, it's basically housing and community services. Um, and then now it's called Homes for Good. They renamed and rebranded themselves. And now they want to basically go from having the five Lane County commissioners and two residents on their board overseeing the millions of taxpayer dollars they spend annually and not just by grants or tax credits, which are overseen by the federal government. Once you grant, if you get those grants or tax credits from HUD, there's a whole set of paperwork that has to be filled out. This is also the agency administers Section 8 vouchers for rental assistance. It also is the agency that administers the low-income energy work throughout the county. So millions of dollars in taxpayer funds go through this agency. And the board voted yesterday to, to go from the five elected commissioners being on the board and two residents for a total of seven to move to a nine-member board for Homes for Good and move from five commissioners to two. So now the only two out of the nine members of that board are going to be elected officials overseeing this agency spending millions of taxpayer money, tens of millions. So going from a much more transparent, responsive to the voter to a less transparent, less responsive pointed board I voted no, and I voted no on the proposal from the very beginning because I did not want to remove any commissioners from that board. And, uh, you know, I got outvoted, but there we go. There's that trend towards one that makes the commissioner's jobs easier because that's one less meeting for three commissioners that they have to attend um, a month. It's only a monthly meeting, but um, it also, you know, puts another – you know, distance you because know, you go through an uh, application then appointment by the commissioner process to fill those seats. You know, the, the, the five additional seats that we're talking about. Um, so they're going to be, instead of uh, each commissioner reflecting their district, it's going to be whatever the majority on the board is at the time appointing people that reflect the majority. So I think it's a step backwards in transparency and a step towards a, a governance model that looks more like the LTD board, which is entirely appointed by the governor of Oregon, Lane Transit District Board. It's not a Lane County agency at all. People get that confused sometimes. Just because it has Lane in the name doesn't mean it's Lane County. And um, they are... Uh, you know, entirely appointed, not responsible, and they are supported by federal tax money, state tax money, 
and a payroll tax locally. Yet none of those board members is responsive to the employers that have to pay that payroll tax. Somebody up in Salem or that actually lives in Portland appoints that board. And if you don't think that's a political issue and they're appointing people that are getting, you know, resume material together for future elected runs and stuff like that, and it's not friends and, and family and and uh, supporters of the governor that end up on that board, you got another thing coming. <laughs> you know, that, that definitely is a, a board that reflects our governor, not the local uh, taxpayers that are supporting LTD through their payroll taxes. But, you know, that's just one place where we're seeing less transparency. I, had, I was the lone no vote on another issue yesterday. We got brought an emergency item because there was a deadline to get a letter of support for the state's request for a Medicaid waiver. And they've used the Medicaid waiver in the past in some pretty good ways, you know, trying to, to um, use Medicaid reimbursements for um, addiction treatment and a few other things that aren't typically in the eligible for Medicaid. Um, but this Medicaid waiver in particular was focused on housing because now housing has become healthcare somehow or another. And, you know, the thing that, you know, I don't disagree that stable housing helps people be healthier. But there is an agency, and we just talked about it, you know, Homes for Good, that's our housing agency here, and a federal agency called Housing and Urban Development. Now, Medicaid's funded from Health and Human Services. So if we're doing a waiver to spend money that should be funded from HUD, how transparent is it to people looking at budgets and thinking, you know, that all this money that's going to health and human services at the federal level is being spent on medical stuff when it's being spent on something that should be under the HUD budget? I don't disagree it's a, that using the, those funds and, and getting people some housing and housing stability would help some of these people, but the money should be coming from HUD not Medicare, Medicaid. Mixing missions, and they do it all the time now. We're spending ODOT money on energy projects. You know, we're, you know, this money is, you know, you know, we've got money that's supposed to be going to public safety that's being spent on social justice initiatives. You know, you, you can't depend on when you see the budget, things are being spent the way you think they should be because they keep getting diverted by special little waivers and bills and requirements, et cetera. I could go into detail about how the Justice Reinvestment Grant Program starting to become the social justice reinvestment grant program. And it's not going into public safety 
programs meant to rehabilitate people as much as it's now starting to go into training, you know, public safety officers on and studying data relative to disproportionate, uh, you know, which isn't such a bad thing, but it's not, it's not the same budget. We're deflecting stuff and we're doing it all the time. We're making waivers in Medicaid to spend it on housing. When we've got a housing and urban development federal, yeah, don't get me started. I wish we weren't having to beg money from the federal government to do these things. I wish all these things were being funded at the local level and that the control of how it was being spent was local rather than us having to beg money out of federal pots. But if we are going to have money coming down from the federal government, make it transparent, make it for what it was supposed to be spent on, which leads me to another thing. And that's, should your government gamble with your money? You're like, government gamble? What are you talking about, Jay? Somewhere along the line, Google the term arbitrage. In most cases, it's illegal. It's borrowing money and investing it, hoping that you'll earn more on the investment than the interest rate on the loan. That's what arbitrage is. Um, and then doing it with public money is usually not legal, except in one case. They made it legal in this state for local governments to bond a portion of their PERS liability, invest that money in the PERS investment portfolio with the hope that they make more money off the investment than they're paying in interest on their bonds. And it's worked out well for some governments over the years. In fact, it worked out pretty well for Lane County government, who took out one of those bonds back in 2002. But if you think about where the economy was in 2002 and how it went up for about six and a half years into 2008, having good returns early on in that gamble, that 20-year gamble you're making, usually means you're going to come out ahead. Now, the problem is, is some governments did that, not Lane County, but there are school districts that pulled those bonds in 2007. Now, what do you think happened to them in the first couple of years of their investments? Wah, wah, right down the, the, the tube. Trying to keep this a family show. <laughs> and they never made back the money over the next 19 years of their bonds. They are sitting negative. There's the potential to save a whole bunch of money on your PERS liability doing this, but there is a potential to lose a significant amount of taxpayer money. So as you look at this gamble of arbitrage, and we're talking about a 270 million bond issuance for Lane County, that's not chump change. 
what you want is to see significantly higher returns than your interest rate over the first five years or so of the investment. If you get that, then you can pretty well weather downturns in the economy or whatever else. How many people right now, as they're watching our 7.9% inflation rate, the war in Ukraine, threats of increasing regulations for climate change and everything else on industry, food shortages, who knows what, employee shortages, supply chain issues, the potential of another surge of some COVID variant in the future. How many people are looking at the next five years economically in a positive light? I know that Wall Street just downgraded all the retail stocks recently, and and the Dow's not having a very good day because of that. I also know that they're talking about jacking interest rates as the year goes on. So, you know, mortgages are going to get more and more expensive. So I don't know what's going to happen to the housing market by the end of the year. Scary stuff. Do you think the Lane County Commissioner should gamble $270 million based on being able to get higher than a and, – and the way the proposal is written, that if we got 4.5% interest on that bonds or less, it would be a go. That was the proposal on the table, which means we have to earn more than 4.5% over the lifetime of that 20-year investment. And if you have early negative returns, it's very difficult to make up that 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 loss. Extremely difficult. I wasn't willing to take the gamble. I'm still not there. Sort of transaction. You have to wonder how many people even understand what their local governments, school districts, et cetera, that have these massive outstanding PERS liabilities, the point where we're paying 28.56% of every employee's PERS eligible salary to the state every year to try and keep up with our PERS liabilities. Do you think people understand that, that that gamble some local governments can take? School districts can do this too. Any PERS employer taking out a 20-year loan and betting it on the market. It's kind of like your buddy comes up to you and says, hey, hey, hey can you loan me $1,000? I'll pay you back tomorrow. I I got this horse in the eighth race. I know he's a winner. Borrowing money to gamble. I don't know how transparent that is. Arbitrage. Oh my. But that that 
just a few things going on in Lane County government over the last couple of weeks. I actually have to go back almost a month because because I was gone during spring break, I didn't get to talk about even our meeting three weeks ago very much. So, you know, we got a few things going there. And, and you know, one of the things that happened back on March 15th was we had, you know, one of our COVID updates. And as part of that, we had um, an order that came through that supposedly we were approving uh, an advisory. You know, it was kind of a, the end of our emergency type order, and, but it included, you know, approving um, an advisory to citizens on the precautions they should take. The only problem was the advisory wasn't attached to the board order. The board order referenced us approving an advisory that wasn't in writing and anyone had read or reviewed. Sorry, can't vote for that. Again, only no vote. I don't, I, I don't get voting to approve something you haven't read. Trust us. Kind of like signing a contract without reading it or something. I don't know. But, you know, another, you know, all these things that I voted against, and I tell you I'm the only no vote, Heather and Joe are voting yes. When I tell you I'm the only no vote, remember that. So, some interesting things going on at Lane County. A lot of them kind of really in the weeds, detail financially stuff. Um, one of the things that's not so in the weeds, but a, a real reflection of current times is we had to approve um, a waiver for our sheriff to offer um, basically a signing bonus of, of vacation pay for lateral transfers as they're trying to hire some new deputies into the um, Lane County Sheriff's Office. And we're fortunate they're not having to offer too much because there are other agencies that are offering up to $10,000 for lateral transfers. But we've got a good reputation for a good culture in our Sheriff's Office, which I commend the Sheriff for. But this whole thing of having to compete for law local law enforcement officers is a symptom of a much greater problem in our society that, that started with, you know, all cops are bastards, defund the police people. By the way, Don Leslie contributed money to a political group that was promoting defund the police. Just so you know. But this this has got to stop. I've talked about this before on the Bose Nose Show. We have to change how we as a society look at law enforcement, particularly local law enforcement, because we don't want the state and the federal government running law enforcement. We want them answerable to the community. We want to be able to go to a mayor and a chief of police and say, I don't like the way you're police officers are doing this, that, and the other thing, or a sheriff 
and a county commissioner. You know, can you really go to your, you know, Senator Wyden and say, I really don't like what the FBI is doing? First of all, the FBI isn't directly answerable to any of the legislature. It's part of the executive branch. So you'd have to go to the president and say, I don't really like what the FBI is doing and what this particular FBI officer is doing. Yeah, it doesn't get very far. Local law enforcement is what's needed. And because local law enforcement is so important, we have to understand that the vast majority of local law enforcement officers join law enforcement to serve people. They're community-minded people with a service orientation that are dealing with people sometimes on the worst days of their lives and under high-stress situations. And we have to tell these people we appreciate their service. We should be, when we see somebody that has on a hat or T-shirt and they're out of uniform, but it says something about, you know, being on, on law enforcement, it should be like seeing somebody that has a hat that says veteran on it. We should be walking up that person and saying, thank you for your service to our community. We should be honoring those people because they go through very similar issues that our veterans have gone through, except for they do it over a 25-year career, usually. They're dealing with injuries on the job, bad backs and, and, you know, just hip problems from carrying around an extra, you know, 15 pounds on their belt of equipment. And equipment keeps growing because there's so much now non-lethal equipment that's on their belt, too. And then we, you know, bad backs from wrestling with, with, you know, people as they're trying to, you know, get them under control. Injuries from those things. But not only that, they are quite often the first person on scene after horrific accidents. You know, 911. Who's usually the first person there? The police officer a lot of times. Similar to our fire people, there is a lot of PTSD in this, you know, profession. Just like our veterans. Their families have to deal with weird schedules, rotating shift schedules where they're you know, and then constantly being called back out when there's something going on or something happens at end of shift and they're staying over shift and then they're suddenly juggling child care issues and everything else. Stressful for the families. While at the same time, the families are wondering, is this the shift dad doesn't come home or mom doesn't come home? Similar to, is this the deployment that mom or dad doesn't come home from? That sort of similarities between our military service and our local law enforcement service are there. Yet we just don't seem to think of it that way as much and think about the sacrifice these people are putting in. And the fact that they're the ones that run 
towards buildings that have active shooters. They're the ones that are out there in all kinds of weather, directing traffic around hazards. They're the ones that are dealing with the guy screaming at the top of his lungs, standing in the middle of the street in downtown. Thank them for doing their jobs and thank them for their service. Thank their families for the sacrifice they make. We should be honoring our local law enforcement officers as highly as we honor a World War II veteran. Now, we made the mistake of demonizing the people in the service during the Vietnam War instead of the politicians making the policies that created the war, people were spitting on soldiers coming home, calling them baby killers. They didn't deserve that. It took us years to fix that and start honoring our Vietnam vets. We can't do that with law enforcement. We need to start today and fix this all cops are bastards, defund the police attitude. Because we're having trouble hiring people. And I guarantee you, when there's somebody banging around in your garage in the middle of the night looking for your gas cans, because now they're worth a lot of money, you're probably going to dial 911 and expect a, a local law enforcement officer to show up. If we can't hire them, they won't be there. We've funded positions, and we need to fill them. And I see Robin wants to jump in on this topic. Robin, what's on your mind? Okay, I'm totally confused. I thought, according to the people in government that want to defund the police, are saying, uh, if something like that happens, you should call a neighbor, you should call a friend to come over and talk to the guy with the gas can and the gun that wants to drill a hole in the bottom of your tank and and convince him not to uh, take your gas because we don't need the police. Yeah, yeah. That, that's going to work out real well, I think. Um, either that or the guy out there with the Sawzall coming after your catalytic converter. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that, you know, as we go down this path that vigilanteism is going to become a thing again. Great celebrations recently about the anti-lynching bill. If we can't hire and staff local law enforcement, that vigilanteism that led to lynchings is, you know, not too far around the corner. You know, and I, and I, it's, it's sad, but that's, you know, not being able to get a police officer there leads to people wanting to find some kind of justice on their own. And an untrained citizen may be not the best person to, to, to decide what's justice. I think I figured it out. Okay. Okay. The answer to everything. No, it's orange traffic barrels. <laughs> well, 
Oh, you got me on that one. I was just thinking as they try to run run away that they just get caught in a circle and they can't find the way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I, I'm making fun of, of Portland City Commissioner or Counselor. I guess they're, I don't know, call them commissioners or counselors up there. Uh, Joanne Hardesty, who when, uh, you know, violent crimes flaring in Portland, they're setting records for murders in Portland. She proposed that they put orange traffic barrels out to slow people down in neighborhoods, and that would stop crime. (laughs) Well, Frank, I was going to just hit it right through this neighborhood, but God darn it, there's an orange traffic barrel. Yeah, yeah. Like that was really going to stop, you know, drive-by shooting, whether or not they were going to have to knock an orange traffic barrel over or not, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Roundabouts and orange traffic barrels instead of cops. Coming from the Marble Nut House that had an emergency session one time to fight over the, the Border Collie being the state dog. Yeah. And I guess that even lost his standing. Ah, uh, yes. I like what, do you say, what do you say we get a weather report from Florence? Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Let's do that. Yeah. Even though I didn't know that Jeff doesn't know he's being brought on. Hi, Jeff. Hey, guys, I'm nowhere near Florence today. I'm about 400 feet up looking over the Columbia River, over the, what's that bridge called, the Hood River Bridge, and the Hood Mountain way off in the distance, covered in snow. Oh, I bet it's a gorgeous day for viewing the mountains up there. It it actually is, and you guys just mentioned Portland, so we did a little sailing. And to get to those marinas, which all have bob wire, which all have fences, because the um, these poor people, but those homeless poor population is all along that road that that leads up along the Columbia. I mean, I thought I felt like making myself one of those uh, coffee table books and just taking pictures of all this stuff because it is absolutely horrendous. I just drove by it about two hours ago. And they're, like, right on the river. I mean, they literally have a river view. Where they've built these crappy little throw-together places. Yeah. Uh, it, it amazes me. I, I did a very similar drive uh, up to Stevenson, Washington, to do a little bit of camping in the COVID capsule. And uh, <laughs> saw the same things along I-205, I-84, um, Oh my gosh, it's it's out of control. Yeah. So yeah, I, I and so they've actually made the speed up. You should be able to go really fast because you just kind of go along this long stretch. But they put all these cameras there. I'm gonna guess because the homeless people just walk up and down along the road at night, and you just kill them um, on these straightaways. So they put all these cameras and this ridiculous low speed limit. But um, yeah, other, other than that, it's a pretty beautiful day today. Well, all right. Well, thank you for the weather report from the gorge. <laughs> you got it. Hey, and, and Steve, wherever you make your new show in the future, you got to do this show in the future. And um, I'll give you a weather report from Oregon. Okay. That, that sounds great because uh, Robin and I have said that even post-retirement, the Bo's Nose Show will continue. And, and and then because I'm not a public official, 
I may be able to be more free with my opinions, like yeah. I'm not now. <laughs> We're going to call it the Bo's No Show Raw. <laughs> oh. Hey, keep the language clean, guys. Uh, we'll keep the language clean. Although, I, I almost lost it this morning. I was listening to the hourly news from Fox on KPNW, and there was something about Cracker Jill. They came up with 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 Cracker Jill, and they had women singing the, the "Take Me Out to the Ballpark" song, um, you know, as opposed to Cracker Jack. Um, it's oh, apparently being sold for charity or something like that. But still, you know, uh, you know, while I'm having a text conversation with a friend of mine, a couple friends of mine this morning about you know just joking, that story came on, and we started talking about it. And I get a text back from one of them that says, Cracker Jill, it sounds like somebody's referring to a white trash hooker. <laughs> yeah, it's, there are no boundaries yeah. for these folks. It's just, you know, forever. Yeah, so I, I came up with a new version that they should come out with. Cracker Pat, the androgynous trailer park snack. <laughs> Oh, uh, gosh. Well, you know, and that's – so now I'm probably going to get lambasted, but for those that remember the Pat character, <laughs> and I won't – and I won't – because this is a family show, I won't tell you what the comment that came after that. <laughs> and now for the after show. Yeah, yeah. The text conversation went downhill from there, literally. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Oh, my. But Cracker Jill is now a thing. <laughs> Nuts. Just crazy. <laughs> I've totally lost Robin on that one. Uh, it's a good thing we only got about five minutes left in the show. Well, Jeff, thank you for uh, the weather report from the Columbia Gorge. And uh, stay behind that barbed wire up there because uh, you want to stay safe because, you know, there are not enough orange traffic cones to go around around Portland. That's true. And it's not only um, vehicles and stuff. They actually have boats that they've taken derelict boats, and they're living in these boats. And you see some on the side of the, the gorge, you know, where they've been abandoned. Can you imagine the garbage that must now exist in the Columbia River because of this? I mean – I mean, where's uh, the environmentalist? You know, you know they're not using holding tanks and pumping them out. <laughs> what happened to that? Oh, I'm going to say indigenous person, formerly Indian, with the tear in his eye. Exactly. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yep. The uh, Florida. Don't be a litter bug. Yeah, I couldn't believe the amount of trash around some of those campgrounds that were. And the weird places they chose to camp, way up on top of an embankment, you know, that that slopes down to the highway. And it didn't look like they were on a level spot. It's like, are they digging out level areas to sleep in or something? Although, this is a new one I heard because I was, talking with some folks that are over, have businesses over off near Gateway Mall. 
the homeless had cut a hole in the fence there to I-5, and it actually were living in the concrete structure of the um, overpasses because they could crawl into the, the they kind of have that those hollow precast um, panels. They, they were crawling into those and, and living in those structures on I-5 at the overpass of Beltline and I-5. Then they were probably complaining about the noise. <laughs> and, and, and the disproportionate effect on, on minority populations um, and underrepresented populations that that noise was creating. Yeah. You know, it's funny that, um, I can't remember if it's China or Japan, they actually have these uh, pipe-like things that they turn into a residence, um, you know, for one or two people or whatever. But when that was suggested in the U.S., they considered that to be abusive. Well, now we're building these little housing pods that are on like four by eight structures yeah. with the, they fold up and, and uh, actually have electricity and a little cadet heater in them. You know, they, they can plug into a wall. So, yeah, that, that's now the new thing, these, these um, modular pods for housing, housing the homeless. So we're getting there. We got them in Florence. We got them in yeah, Florence you know, now. We have a battle. Yeah. What it is, is it, by it's state law, we have to provide an area. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the real question is, is, is that helping? And, and is that where we should be spending our homeless money? We're spending in our budget $14 million a year on homeless services in Lane County, out of the county budget. That does not include what, we're, what we spent monies that came through uh, various funds recently because uh, of COVID and all that, or the ARPA money that we're spending on homeless activities. So, and so we're up in the in the 30 million over the last year on homeless stuff. Is it being spent effectively is the question I keep asking. Are we measuring whether this particular intervention's actually moving the needle, changing people from being homeless to being housed, or are we just enabling them to continue to be homeless? Well, I think one thing to jump in here real quick, and I think Jeff can try and kind of relate to this. We went to uh, Florence over the weekend and decided to go to BJ's to get an ice cream cone. $7 for a two-scoop cone. So talk about things being super expensive anymore. And they've, well, they've got good ice it's expensive ice cream there to begin it's with. It's not that it's, good. It's the best of. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's all going up. And, and that uncertainty in prices, that uncertainty about the war in Ukraine, and we were going to gamble $270 million of your money on that particular economy, going back to what I was talking about earlier. And our commissioners need a 2% pay increase that earn over $140,000 a year. Um, we are out of time. I appreciate you, you talking to us again, Jeff, and giving us the weather report from up there in the gorge instead of Florence. But we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bo's Nose Show, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. <laughs>